Hello, Connected Parents, and welcome to another episode of Connected Parenting. In today's episode, I want to talk about the kids who just are relentless. They want something and they badger and they beg and they plead and they keep going and going and going at the place, please, please, you have to until you don't know what to do and you end up giving in. Now, that's what most parents do. But we know deep down that that's not the right thing to do. It's just the only thing we can think of to do in the moment. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about what are some alternatives to that and how can you set boundaries and how can you say no and mean it and stick to it. Um, And that's what today is going to be all about. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Colary. I'm a child and family therapist and a parenting coach and the founder of Connected Parenting. And welcome to the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. Join me every week. And we'll tackle everything from temper tantrums to bedtime to sibling issues to teenage angst. Parenting can be so wonderful, but it can be so hard. Parents often say to me, hey, can you just come live at my house? This is the next best thing. Let's do this together. Okay, so first, let's kind of revisit what this is like. And I hear this so often from parents that I work with or from parents that are in the on my coaching calls, that certain kids... and and often gladiator kids, certainly happens with ADHD kids a lot. They fixate on something that they have to have, something you have to go to the store to get them or some new thing that goes with their set, or if it's a teenager, they need the latest this or that. And they will keep going and keep going and keep going until you are completely worn down and exhausted. And so over time, the rewarding of that pattern is actually laying down neural pathways in the brain that cause that brain to know, oh, I have to escalate. I have to start at this level. So what happens is they just start at a higher and higher level next time to try and get the thing that they want. The brain remembers and it just sets. It's got a new set point, which is why these behaviors tend to become more exaggerated and intense over time. And so what often happens is we just can't take it anymore. And we're like, fine, okay. And then we make a deal, but you have to do this. And then often they don't keep the deal. Um, which also makes us very, very frustrated. So there's a few things that you can really do. Now, I want to start with a story. So some of you have heard me uh, speak before. You'll know this story. But this is years ago. I, I was at Ikea, and I had noticed this lovely little couple. They were very cute. It was obviously their first child. The child had been playing in the play area, the ball pit. I, I don't know if they still have this at Ikea, but you could sign your child in, and then you could shop while they're playing. And they picked the little guy up and he's putting him in a stroller and he's holding this clown, this Ikea clown. And the lady uh, that works in the childcare area came out with her you know, Ikea vest and came up to them and said, oh, sweetie, I'm going to need that clown back. And you could just see the parents. You could see their body language. They went right into, oh my God, what am I going to do mode? And the kid arched his back and started screaming and wouldn't let go of this clown. And the parents were you know, trying to talk to the lady, but could they buy this clown? I, I don't even remember what happened. But at a certain point, somehow the Ikea lady got the clown away from the kid. And the kid was hysterical screaming and yelling and kicking his feet. Now, the interesting part was the parents, um, their reaction was they kind of panicked themselves. So they were looking at each other and like, well, where's this teddy bear? I don't know where his teddy bear is. I left it in the car. I've told her a million times, never leave the teddy bear in the car. And they're having this whole reaction back while the kid is screaming. They start to try and figure out what to do. Well, let's go buy him another one. Well, I can't take him. He's screaming through the straw. I'll keep him here. Anyway, dad, it was the dad. Dad runs off um, 
dad runs off through Ikea, which I mean, Ikea is amazing, but if you try to find one thing in Ikea, that's not an easy task. So he's running through all the, the arrows on the whatever. Anyway, he runs to the marketplace area to find his clown. And he comes back about five or 10 minutes later, sweating. I mean, the man is exhausted. He's had it. The mom, the entire time while dad was going to buy this clown, was, you know, at eye level with the kids saying, honey, it's okay. It's okay. Daddy's gone to get the clown. I'm sure he'll be here in a minute. And she's looking to find him. And I'm, I'm just sort of watching, you know, behind a plant or some display or something. And I, I watch this unfold. Dad comes back, hands the kid the clown. The, the kid immediately calms down, wipes the sweat off his brow. The mom and him are kind of looking at each other and off they go. And so what I'm thinking in that moment is, you know, the obvious, like the kid looks at the situation. He's looking at his parents and he's like, oh, Okay, well, that's what I have to do to get a clown. I can do that. That's the obvious. The other part, though, is is even more significant, and that is as the parents are panicking, you know, arguing with each other in a really escalated state, the kid is looking at them because children gauge their responses based on ours. So the kid is looking at them, seeing them looking very uncertain, very unclear, very distraught. And he thinks, oh my God, this is worse than I thought. I'm lucky to be alive, right? So the kid's now looking at the parents thinking, I didn't think this was so bad. I was kind of just putting it on so I'd get the clown. But look at my parents. Clearly, this really is something that I need to be upset about. So the important thing to remember when we reward these um, behaviors, um, we're actually sending a message around how important something is, whether or not we believe the child can actually cope with that and manage, how big of a problem something is, and this is shaping their worldview. And so what often ends up happening is over time, these behaviors do not get better because they're rewarded. So behaviors only stick around if they're rewarded. So if it works and you get what you want, then the brain is going to remember that that worked and it's going to start there again the next time. Um, the other thing that's so important to know about the brain is, and it doesn't matter if it, your kid is six or 16, when they start to work themselves up about how badly they want something, the midbrain, which is the part of the brain that's in charge of you know, safety, security, it's in charge of the fight or flight mechanism. It cannot tell the difference between you not getting a clown or the latest laptop or whatever it is and something really life-threatening. If your heart is pounding, if you are breathing fast, if you are crying, if you are, um, you know, your muscles are all tight and your jaw is tight, your brain is going to assume that it is life-threatening. And so the physiology really matches it. So they really are this distressed. Um, and then as soon as they get the thing, there's an immediate reward, an immediate release, which also causes a type of addiction, right? This addiction to panic, overwhelm, freaking out. Oh, I got the thing that I wanted. So the tough part for us as parents is there really are times where it's just easier to say yes, or you just don't have it in you, or it's been the fourth time that day and you're just done and you cannot handle it. And I know as a parent, you sort of promise yourselves, I'm not going to do that next time. I'm going to start to be tougher. It was just this one time, but it, the more, the more you give in, in the moment, the bigger the problem becomes. And the more you're just kind of pushing that problem forward for you to deal with with more intensity the next time, and you're actually causing the child to experience more distress in the future. So what do we do? 
So the best thing to do, remember always that everything starts with the calm technique. Everything starts with listening, uh, with mirroring. Like, so let, we'll take the, let's take apart the Ikea example. So the kid is screaming, they're holding the clown, they're freaking out. What you wanna do first is mirror. And if you, you can, the, the Ikea lady can wait for a second, it'll be okay. You get down on eye level and without panicking and without thinking, oh dear God, please let this work. Um, because if you think that you've already lost, you're looking at the child and you're saying, you really love this clown. I can see how much you love this clown. He's a beautiful color and he's really squishy and you really love having him. And you just sort of engage with the child on how much they love that toy. And then you say to them, this is very hard, but that toy doesn't belong to you. It belongs to someone else. So I'm going to give you a minute to give the toy a really big hug and a big kiss. And I believe in you and I trust you. You'll be able to hand this back to the lady. And most of the time that will work. It sounds like it won't, but I promise you it will, especially if you get the first part right. So go back to the first episode to really refresh yourself on how to do the calm technique. This is why I have the course. So you can really, really get good at it. It's a skill. It's actually a superpower. If you're active listening, I know you really like the clown and I know you're having a really good time with the clown, but you can hear where I'm going. Hear that lilt in my voice? You know what I'm going to say next, which is give the clown back. Mirroring is much more about really getting into the feeling of that clown with your child, then presenting that you know they have the ability to give them that message of confidence and then give them some time to think about it. And that usually works and the clown will go back. So that's, that's one of the first things that you can do. The other is really front loading. So before you go to Ikea or before you go to the mall with your teenager, you're very clear about A, how much money you're spending or B, how many things they can have, whatever limits you're setting. You set that limit with them and you tell them, I love you enough to stick to this. I love you enough for you to be mad at me. You know, continuously buying things that you don't need and continuously, you know, giving in when you're freaking out is not helping you or me. So today, this is the boundary and mean it. If you're thinking, oh, I really hope this works. It's not going to work. So really believe it. This is an intervention. This is something you're doing for both of you to make sure that future trips to the mall or future trips to wherever you're going work better. So set the limit. When you get to the mall or wherever you are and they're asking, please, please, I want it. I have to have it. Then the answer is no right? If they've already had what they need, you say you can scream as much as you want, keep going. You know, if it's a littler kid, you can say, go ahead, do what you have to do, throw yourself on the ground. That's the paradoxical technique that I often talk about. Get yourself, you know, have a, throw yourself into it. Do what you have to do, darling, but I'm not getting you that toy. No matter what happens, you're not getting that toy because I love you. Now you're mean, please, please. And you know what? If you have to say to people, you know what? We'll be a few minutes, walk around. Sorry about this. They'll understand. They've probably been there. It's much better than doing that thing where you're like, you're embarrassing because you're not invisible. And they know your kid knows that they have too much power in that moment. So that really, really helps. Sometimes you can actually go to the mall or go to a store for no other reason than to test this out. Don't go there to pick up a birthday present or something else. You're literally going to set a limit for your child and stick to it. And that sometimes works a lot better because your agenda isn't all mixed up in there about things that you have to do or things that you have to finish. Um, if, if your kids are at home and they're just rudely asking for something, get me this, or I want this, or this isn't what I want, I want this, or why would you give me this? I asked for this. And if it's that kind of yucky, kind of icky um, 
demanding behavior, then stay very neutral, absolutely neutral and say, I love you. And I love you way too much to reward that behavior because that's not going to work for you in the world. So I'm not going to get you what you want because I don't like the way you're talking to me. It's not happening. And then walk away. They will escalate because you've always done it before. They're going to want this to work the way it has always worked. You're going to stay absolutely neutral. You're not going to lecture your head off. You're just going to go, when you ask me nicely, when you can ask me like I'm a human being, um, then we'll talk about it. And do not give in to that behavior. Do not ever give in to that behavior. Then what you can do is if they suddenly go, fine, can I please have whatever? Act like they did that for the, act like that just, they just did that spontaneously and say, oh, sure. And then through that behavior, repeating that, they get nothing. Um, you disengage when they're being demanding and awful. And when they ask you nicely, you're like, sure. If, and some, you don't always have to say sure, by the way, <laughs> maybe times they can do it themselves. So, so please know that this is only if you were going to probably do it for them anyway. Uh, otherwise you want to be building independence, which I can do a different podcast on, but uh, this doesn't mean you always say yes every time they ask nicely and you want to be clear with them. That's not the case either. Um, it, they'll just have a much better chance of it working. Um, other things that can be really helpful are boundary related as well. So I don't know if you're going to the I don't know, amusement park or you're, you're going somewhere and you just don't want the whole day to be about, I want this, I want this, and I want this. So you actually give them money. You give them whatever you can afford, whatever's in your budget. Here you go. You get $20 for the day or whatever it is. And that's it. That's all you get. And then when they're asking for things, you can say, well, you've got your money, but I, this is, I don't know. I want two things. Well, that's your money. So you have to make a good choice. I have really found this to be incredibly helpful, even with the most um, relentless kids. If there's a limit, if they actually physically have the money in your hand or or they're, you're holding it for them and they can actually see it leaving, they'll make different decisions. So that actually can be very, very helpful. And then the last technique I really just want to talk about is um, red light, green light. So uh, this is really, you know, uh, red light behaviors are things related to safety. Holding hands in the parking lot, wearing your seatbelt, not running with scissors, not hitting, you know, anything that's really safety related. And so when, you know, parents come to me and say, oh, my kid never listens, I'll say, well, will they wear a seatbelt? Well, of course. And what's the difference? Because you mean it, because it's not an option, because there's, you're not going to bend. You're not going to go, okay, well, this time you don't have to wear your seat. You would never do that. And your kid knows it. So they're not going to push you on that. Children love limits. Limits are love. Limits actually show that you care. And when limits are delivered in a loving, neutral way, they work. They really work. And even the most relentless kid will calm down and actually their anxiety gets better because a lot of this badgering behavior is they can't let go until they've gotten what they want. Um, and the anxiety of possibly turning that maybe or that no into a yes is all encompassing for them. And they won't let go until they've actually done it. So they ha actually have less anxiety and calm down and feel better and are happier when they know the rules are actually set. So those are red light behaviors. Then there's green light. Who cares if their clothes match, right? If they, or they I don't know, they're wearing their hair a certain way, or they take four toys instead of three to the restaurant, like stuff like that. Pick your battles, just let that go. We don't have to make those red light things. Like that doesn't matter. Those, those things, let them have some autonomy and some sovereignty over that. And then there's yellow light things. So these are things that have to happen with some regularity, you know, brushing your teeth, taking a shower, eating your vegetables, things like that but they don't have to happen every single time. There, there is a little bit of room. There's a little bit of flexibility. 
And so the idea is, let's say your child is in a store and they're begging you for something. Um, if you're going, if you think you're going to bend and say yes to that thing, then just say yes. If you're going to say yes anyway, then just say yes before all the nonsense, before all the behavior. So you don't reward that behavior in the brain. So you're not really affecting that neural hardware in the brain so much. Um, if it's a no and you want to say no, then you basically, basically what you say to your child is actually, if it's a no, it's a no that then it's a red light. You just say to them, that's a red light. It's not happening. If you're not sure you really don't want to, but maybe you're kind of tired, you're running a diagnostic on yourself that day. You don't know if you've really got it in you to follow through with this. Then you say, Hmm, well, it's a yellow light. Let me think. And if your child goes, please, please, I have to have it. Then you say, you know what, darling? And, and mirror, always mirror. I get it. I see how much you love that. And you've been talking about that. But you know what? The way that you asked me and the way that you spoke to me, I'm so sorry. You turned the light red. Now we're into cause and effect. Their behavior turned the light red. And then you can say next time, if you can give me some space to think, if you could not badger me where I'm, while I'm trying to make a decision, it might be a yes. It might not be a yes, but there's a much greater chance that it would be a yes. And then leave, go, do not buy that thing under any circumstances. If you say, well, hmm, it's a yellow light, let mommy or daddy think about it. And they're like, okay. And they wait patiently or they say, okay, you know, I promise I won't bother you. I'm just going to go over here. And, and then if they actually do that, then... You can reward that behavior and say, okay, good choice. Well done. All right, you can have it. Then remind them, of course, front load that this will not happen every single time. They're not always going to get what they want. But this is a very important lesson that connects cause and effect, that connects their behavior to outcome. Remembering to, to mirror all the way through this. So using the calm technique, staying really neutral. Um, I did a whole podcast on staying neutral. That will help you kind of figure out how, what neutral actually looks like. Cause it doesn't look like I don't care. It looks like I absolutely care, but it's happening to you, not me. And I'm strong enough and I'm rooted enough in a place of love right now that I'm not going to let this behavior throw me off. I love you enough to set this limit. Um, and also if you want a deeper dive into all of this, the connected parenting courses, there's the course that just has video. I want people to know you have it for life. It doesn't disappear after 90 days. We also have the version where I, I show up with everyone once a month for a coaching call and I love interacting with everyone. It's fantastic. We have people from all over the world. I'm also really active in the private Facebook group that goes with that. We've got our village where we talk about the very things I did the podcast on today with other parents who are going through exactly the same thing. It's a really loving, supportive community, but there's at least two connected parenting coaches uh, in those groups that will help you. We've got the books, we've got your podcast that you can listen to. I'm doing my best to bring all kinds of content to everyone uh, to help you along in this really challenging parenting journey. So thank you for listening today. And I will see you again on the next episode of Connected Parenting.